Hey, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the very first episode, the debut episode of Putting It Over with Pat. I'm your host, Patrick Rivera, and uh, I got to say it's been a long time coming for me You know, with this program. I've uh, been dying to do something like this, uh, but more importantly, something where I can talk to some of the great people that have been in the professional wrestling business, a business that I love, a business that many, many people love, uh, and you know, I finally have this chance to do this and to be able to talk to people. Uh, it's been a big week, a big weekend in professional wrestling this past weekend. Uh, we had SummerSlam, NXT, CM Punk returning to wrestling, but we'll talk about that later. Right now, I'd like to take a chance to introduce my very first guest on the debut episode of Putting It Over with Pat, the former Portuguese man of war, the former ECW world champion. He's not just the coolest. He's not just the best. What's his name? Just Incredible. That's right. Just Incredible is with me tonight. Justin. Or PJ, whichever one you'd like me to call you, because I know you're a man of many names. Um, but how uh, you doing? PJ's fine. PJ's fine. Okay, awesome. PJ, how you doing? I'm doing great, brother. Uh, I'm glad uh, we had a nice conversation uh, last week. You know, we spent some time on the phone. And uh, I'll tell you, I'm happy, happy to be here, happy to be on the debut episode. That's pretty cool. So, uh, yeah, man, uh, congratulations on the podcast. I'm sure it's going to be awesome. And, uh, yeah, just like I said, happy to be here and talking to you. Thank you, man. I'm I'm really, really glad to have you. And obviously, I had to go big uh, with the first episode. And, you know, I really wanted to be able to bring in a former ECW world champion, somebody who's been around for some of the bigger and more historic moments in the business. But um, before we get to any of that, I, I definitely would like to start out with uh, how you broke into the biz um, and, you know, sure. where you got your, your, your roots in the wrestling business. Um, sure. Yeah. I, uh, I broke into the business in, I, I never have exact terms, but I went to wrestling camp, uh, the summer of 1992, uh, if I'm correct. And I am, um, sometimes it slips me, but, uh, yeah, I went there, uh, to the Hart brothers in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, uh, Keith Hart and Bruce Hart ran the camp, uh, Lance Storm and Chris Jericho had gone through the year before, uh, and trained there as well. And Lance had stuck around because um, he's from Calgary originally and stuck around to be a trainer there, um, you know, because he was obviously really, really good. And, uh, you know, the, the hearts were getting a bit old, older to teach us big high spots. So Lance kind of uh, the hearts would be on the outside teaching and Lance would be on, on the inside uh, taking bumps with us and showing us uh, proper form and stuff. So it was a great experience, man. Absolutely great. Wow, that that sounds amazing. Um, did you ever have any uh, in ring time with Stu at all, or did Stu come around? You know, and uh... no, no, I wish I did. I only met Stu afterwards, um, not when I was there for for the training. Uh, it had changed. The Stu was a bit older, and I'd never been to the original dungeon or anything like that. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, Keith Hart was the main heart that was there. Bruce would come by as well, but Keith would actually get in the ring with you, you know, once or twice a week, uh, not for a very long time, but he would get in there and uh, shoot with you a little bit and roll around with you, you know, and, uh, but like I said, you know, Lance did uh, the bulk of the inside, uh, inside work and the, the drop kicks and the arm bars and arm drags and anything with bumps he really took. Right, right. Now, uh, was Stampede still running then, or were, were you able to do, like, uh, matches with Stampede after you completed your training? Uh, well, it wasn't Stampede. Stampede had gone out of business, uh, I would like to say. I don't know exactly when, but they had gone out of business prior. But uh, there was a company that was uh, coming right back to, uh, to wrestling. It was called uh, to wrestling in the area. 
uh, it wasn't done by the heart. Uh, it was done by a couple of other people in the Calgary area. And they actually, as a matter of fact, they used to run right across uh, from the big Calgary Saddle Dome where they do pay-per-views. We're on SmackDown. It's the major venue. And it was a company called Rocky Mountain Pro Wrestling. And um, basically, when I finished camp in the summer of 92, they kind of said, look, if you want to get your teeth cut in the wrestling business, you know, go home for a bit and uh, come up again uh, when we start and do our first show. So uh, I took that, you know, took that, you know, information, that knowledge that they gave me uh, and also the opportunity that they extended. Um, I, you know, I went back at home, worked for like two or three months, um, you know, real quick to just earn as much money as I could to get another flight back to Calgary and October 16th, 1992 for Calgary's Rocky Mountain Pro Wrestling. I had my first match ever uh, on my 19th birthday against Brett Farrell, who was a previous, you know, same year, same class um, graduate of the uh, Hart Brothers School. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, um, so, yeah, yeah. He's so, the one. It's funny. There, uh, uh, twelve guys and gals entered, and at the end of the heart camp, only three were left. He was one of them. And this other kid, a uh, young kid, uh, what was his name? Um, Wilfred. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I still remember <laughs> weird name. Wilfred Baduke. He was the third. Wow, that's something. So, did you guys just mainly get like um, guys from like the Northeast and all throughout Canada that would go there? Because I mean. Did Montreal, like, Montreal kind of had a wrestling scene at that time too, right? They did. Yeah, they certainly did. And there were names out there. Um, I think a lot of us, um, the gentleman that I had in my first match, um, he was he had a really good physique. Uh, and he was a decent worker. He still wrestles to this day um, as Big Daddy Hammer in the Ontario area. But um, what I was trying to get at is he was from Thunder Bay, Ontario. Which was, it's funny, but I guess a lot of people uh, want to travel that distance, as like myself, to the hearts based on, you know, really solely on the name of it. You know, I mean, it's the Hart Brothers. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the, the name uh, of, of Brett's and, and, and Owen's. And, of course, if you really follow wrestling, you know, all the stuff in Stampede and Stu. So uh, it really, um, I think a lot of people were willing to do the travel. Um, to, to train under those names, you know, like a, like they still do today, uh, you know, even though it's not necessarily the hearts, but Lance has his academy and uh, he brings in uh, wrestlers from all over the globe to train and uh, a lot of them to a lot of success so that whatever they're doing in Calgary, um, I know now Lance runs his own camp, but it seems like the Calgary tradition uh, seems to attract and uh, produce some amazing wrestlers to this day. Absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, Lance was one of the guys when I was, you know, getting into wrestling and training. He was the guy that my cousin and I would constantly study, uh, you know, his bumping, just his movement, everything that he did. It was just really smooth, really fluid. I mean, he, he really made stuff look easy. Um, yeah, and, he really you know, did. He had that kind of talent. Um, so how long how long after this did you did you start uh, doing work with WWE? Did it start out kind of like on the enhancement match on the enhancement work level? Yeah. Okay. So. Yep. Oh, it's it started. Uh, I'll help you out real quick because mm -hmm. this is some interesting stuff. Sure. Um, I had ten matches uh, at the Calgary Rocky Stampede uh, place territory, if you want to call it that. They only ran Friday nights, but they ran weekly, which was cool. So uh, I was there for ten weeks, wrestled ten Friday nights there. Uh, and in that little 10, you know, 10 matches that I had, my first 10 matches, uh, my number four was Chris Jericho. 
wow. when he was a rookie, you know, second year in the business. And uh, my eighth or ninth match, I'm not sure, was Lance Storm, uh, funny enough. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so my first 10 matches, I'd done, I'd done Chris Jericho and Lance Storm. Uh, and, you know, it was just fantastic. And I wrestled uh, the kid I came out of camp with, Brett, uh, twice. He was my first match and my last match. So, uh, you know, it was a lot of fun. And uh, it really taught me, like, you know, the real ins and outs of wrestling. And then after that, I was pretty much broke because I wasn't making any money, uh, you know, uh, putting up the rings and stuff. But they weren't paying you. I was just happy to be on the show. You know what I mean? At that, at that game, you know, at that you know point in the game. So I came back home. Did a couple of small indies, but back then, you know, you got to remember, uh, there's no internet, there's yeah. uh, no social media to, uh, you know, to 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 really reach out to people. I didn't even know, you know, we didn't in those days. You found out about people through you saw a poster, <laughs> or uh, somebody knows somebody, or somebody has a, saw a clipping in a magazine. That's how word got around, you T- know. Tape trading and a lot too, of, right? Was yeah. kind of big back then. Yeah. I'm sorry. Tape trading was kind of big back then too, right? It was, yeah, yeah, it was, and uh, you you found out uh, the wrestlers did a lot of times uh, from the Meltzer sheets, you know, and that's one thing. I mean, people shit on the sheets, but back then, uh, especially in pre-internet, uh, it was so important because it really was a paper for the industry for the boys. Um, only you know during around the Attitude Era did it really start to blow up. And what you would have is smart marks and fans that would actually get the newsletters because for many, many years, the, the sheets were meant for people in the business and they would give, you know, ways to contact promoters. And, you know, you could see like this and such, this and such promoter is wrestling, you know, you do Meltzer would do the, you know, the reporting and say, Hey, this guy runs in this territory, you know, must he runs in New York. So you'd see who to get a hold of in New York. Right. And so forth. So really, it was a it was a, a newsletter for the men and women in the business to kind of connect. You know, you know who who took tapes and requested work. You know, one guy was in Puerto Rico. I knew a contact in Japan that was always, you know, or you just went through Melcher himself. Right. You know, because Dave, if you called him up and say, hey, Dave, I started uh, in the business. I'm from Calgary or trained in Calgary. Um, do you know anybody on the East Coast that, uh, you know, do you have any promoters names? Yeah, this guy runs every uh, couple couple times a month, whatever, you know, a couple times a month. This one does this. So I did a couple of shows in Massachusetts. And uh, one time the WWF uh, back then was what they were called. They had a house show in Connecticut, which is where I'm from. And I went to the house show, just kind of, you know, got back there. Back then it wasn't a lot of security. They, you know, if you were one of the boys, they just let you in. Um and Tony Gurria, uh, he was the uh, agent is what we called him. I guess now they're called producers. Yeah. He uh, met me there and I'm like, hey, Mr. Gurria, my name is PJ Walker. I told him that was my name. Uh, he goes, <laughs> uh, I was trained by the Hearts in Calgary. You know, I got, you know, blah, 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 gave him uh, my resume, so to speak. And you always brought, you were taught by the Hearts, always bring your bag with your gear. And, uh, you know, you always say, I'm here if you need me. If somebody doesn't show up, a flight's canceled which does happen more than you would imagine. Um, you know, I'm here if you, if you need me, you know, okay, great. He waited around. Well, doesn't look like we need you, but uh, you're more than welcome to watch the show. Awesome. So I watched the whole show backstage with the rest of the boys, you know, shook hands with some of the guys and stuff at the end. Um, I went to thank him, you know, um, great show, whatever. And, uh, he goes, well, you know, 
uh, in a coming month or so, we're starting a new program uh, from Manhattan called Monday Night Raw. And we're going to be needing people to go down there and work as enhancement talent. Um, if you're interested, uh, you know, give me your number and I'll give you a call. So I gave him my number. Uh, lo and behold, a couple of weeks later, I got booked for Monday Night Raw to wrestle uh, the narcissist Lex Luger. so you know i was because i lived so close to where they were going to be taping you know a lot of times they would be bringing in guys from the carolinas or virginias or so forth i'm right here you know you don't have to fly me in and uh, that was a big sort of being in the right place at the right time uh, is how i got my foot in the door early on that's great i mean um I, i mean i remember you know a lot of those um like they would do like those matches like on Saturday on like superstars and you'd see like the Hardys, you know, like when they were kids, yeah. you know, like, so yeah, that, that, uh, you know, like you were mentioning, you know, a lot of the guys from the Carolinas and it must've been convenient, yep. you know, cause you're a Northeast guy. So, Hey, you know, bring you right in, you know, you can yeah, yep. you know, do what you got to do. Um, so from there, when, where did the, where did the Portuguese man award gimmick come about? I mean, did you sh- sign shortly after or what basically kind of happened that led to that? Okay, um, I, I was doing the PJ Walker stuff more and more. Um, you know, obviously, if they like your work, um, this was around the time of the steroid trial as well. So Vince McMahon was really saving money by doing a lot of shows close to the the office here in uh, in Stamford, Connecticut, and which of course he's doing a lot of shows around Connecticut, around his home base, to keep things cheaper. Uh, Massachusetts, New Hampshire. Pennsylvania, Jersey, New York, you know, that area. And I was constantly on every TV taping for the most part, which was great work. I mean, I was making $150 a night uh, wrestling Monday, Tuesdays and Wednesdays uh, sometimes because one day you did Monday Night Raw on Monday. Uh, Tuesday you did WWE or WWF Superstars. That was the name at the time. And then Wednesdays you'd tape WWF Challenge. So you, those were all the TV dates. And then, like, you you know, you'd have the, the one week or two weeks off, depending. So I was getting a lot of luck and a lot of bookings because of that. So real quick, I'll tell this story, which is how I got the job. Um, they needed somebody to bump around uh, in Stanford at the, at the warehouse with uh, someone. They needed to work with someone and they needed an extra to come in and work with uh Mark Callis, Callaway, a.k.a. The Undertaker, and somebody they were come bringing in to work as the fake taker, uh, Brian Lee. So I go in to work with Mark and Brian. It was just three of us in the warehouse uh, where the WWE keeps their rings, their trucks, all their uh, coffins and lighting and all that bullshit, those sets. You know, they just made some space for a ring and uh, Brian Mark and myself, we got in the ring and we worked for him to kind of bump around for him, worked so he can get the mannerisms and the move set uh, to do Undertaker, like a mirror image of him, you know. Um, so was, everything's going great. On Friday, uh, I was told by Tony Gurria, bring your gear. You know, we want to see everything in gear. So I was told to put my gear on wrestling boots, wrestling tights, you know, because we were working on shorts, all of us. Um, and tank tops, you know, so we're all geared up. Uh, Brian Lee's on is doing the got the Undertaker gear. So uh, I find out uh, Vince McMahon and Pat Patterson walk down. Um, so Vince and Pat are here and they want to see a full, full dressed rehearsal. So Brian Lee, I'm in, the, you know, they do the intros. I'm already in the ring. 
and uh, you know somebody else is kind of just my you know pretend you know pretending he's a ring announcer, and here comes the Undertaker. The music from a boombox hits, and there's <laughs> Brian Lee with the hat and the whole thing, makeup, everything, taking the stroll, the slow walk, you know. And there's Vince, Pat Patterson, and the the real Undertaker watching. Bell goes off. We have the squash match that they're going to have because uh, this was right before Raw that he debuted. So we're, you know. We do the match. Everything goes off without a hitch, you know, perfect. So, um, you know, so I'm scheduled to pull that off next Monday live on Raw, right? Vince is very happy with Brian Lee. So Pat comes in the ring. Hey, thank you, kid. Ba I've been watching you on the road uh, with TV. You're pretty freaking good. Ba ba ba. Who trained you? And I said, Oh, the Hearts did. Oh yeah. Oh, well, very good. Hey, you know, Vince, this kid trained by uh, by old Stu over here. You know, starts putting it over, you know, and then uh, we start talking more. And uh, he goes, hey, Vince, or no, he asks me, he goes, kid, what nationality are you? Uh, I said, I'm Portuguese, sir. And he pops. He goes, huh? Hey, Vince, this kid Portuguese. (laughs) And Vince starts really very good. (laughs) No idea what that means. Right. Right. Anyways, last time Pat turns to me. "Uh, So, kid, uh, do you happen to speak Portuguese? I said, well, yes, sir. My family uh, is from Portugal. I mean, they were immigrants. They had me here. Um, you know, I spoke Portuguese, quite honestly, before I learned English, because that's all my mom and dad spoke when they came to this country. And he goes, oh, my God. Hey, Vince, this kid spoke, he speaks Portuguese. You know, another big pop. Long story. They've been looking for a Portuguese guy because Aldo was drawn up. They were looking for a Portuguese guy to come in, a young guy to come in and do the the gimmick. And originally the gimmick was supposed to be a soccer player because this was around the time of the World Cup. Wow. And we were doing a lot of overseas stuff because, again, the steroid trial business had gotten like it was getting really bad here. Yeah. Like, you know, we were drawing two, three thousand people at the two thousand or the twenty thousand seat arenas, Jeez. you know. Yeah, business was down. So a lot of what they did was go overseas. They were selling out, you know. So, uh, yeah, that's the start of the Portuguese Man of War gimmick. And like I said, the the way I made it was being at the right place at the right time, um, both with where I live in this country, because mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm from Connecticut, yeah. and having all those opportunities as a, to do jobs and get looked at, um, and also being Portuguese. Yeah. So a lot of it was right place, right time, you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you you, t- you always hear that a lot about, you know, any kind of success stories or just people just making it in some kind of way. It's like, hey, right place, right time. Speaking yeah. of, um, obviously being in WWF locker room back then, uh, you know, there was a lot of talent. I mean, you know, just Undertaker, as you mentioned before, Brett and Owen. And uh, there was also a group of friends that you got very familiar with and very cool with, the Click. Yes. Uh, tell yes. us a little bit about the Click and and how you got to how you got to be cool with those guys. Um, man, it just uh, it happened really uh, by surprise, uh, you know, because I didn't have um, even though I'd made friends with a lot of these guys, um, still I was young. You know, I'm still uh, not even 21 yet. You know, from the time I broke into the business and had my first match, I'm approaching. Uh, 21, but still I'm, you know, very young, barely. I think I turned 21 when I was already Aldo. Um, but long story short, I couldn't rent cars. So the first ever house show I go on, it's somewhere in the Midwest or not even, I don't even know, somewhere around, uh, I think we we're in uh, Ohio and I'll never forget it. 
uh, we get our plane tickets and we get the booking sheet, but I get to the airport and I figured there'd be somebody there to take me. Like, you know, so I look around, I'm like, I can't rent a car because back then you had to be, I think 24 and you have to have a credit card and all of this stuff. Well, I had a license. I had the money, but I didn't have a, have my own credit card. I think I had one of my dad's. <laughs> um, so I couldn't rent a car. Uh, so I went with Tony Gurria, Chief J. Strongbow, and uh, I think Rene Goulet, the agents mm -hmm. that were, you know, producing the matches. So I get there, whatever, uh, talking to Razor Ramon. You know, so he's always been friendly. He goes, up, blah, 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 you liking this? I'm like, yeah, man, this is awesome. My first set of shows uh, outside of TV. He goes, who are you traveling with? I said, uh, with Tony Gurria, you know, uh, Chief J. Strongbow and uh, Rene Goulet. He goes, I said, what? He goes, bro, you're going to get so much heat traveling with the office. Everybody's going to think you're a stooge. <laughs> I'm like, okay. You know, because Brooklyn Brawler uh, used to travel with uh, Pat Patterson and some other guys. And he was known as, as a big office stooge. That's why Brooklyn Brawler was there for like 20 years. Right. You know what I mean? Right, right. Seriously, he was a big stooge. So I, he goes, all right. He goes, from now on, you're coming with me, puss. Uh, so literally from that moment, uh, Razor and I, because I guess Kevin, those guys, Kevin, I don't think was even in yet. He might have been already, but mm -hmm. they were, you know, it was basically um, how I got into uh, hanging out with those guys, you know, because on those shows too, the, those B-towns, it was like at a high school or some shit. We we're still running in high schools. Mm -hmm. You know, you wouldn't, the A-team like Sean would be on the one big house and Hunter isn't even with the company yet. One, two, three kid uh, would be on the other side of town. So it was just one, two, three kid, myself, Shawn Michaels and Razor, right. you know, and it was pretty, uh, it was pretty cool. And that's how I really got brought in by those guys. Wow. That, that must've been amazing. I mean, because for that period, I mean, those guys were definitely some of the top performers there. I mean, you know, Sean and yeah. Razor, obviously, yeah. you know, their, their epic rivalry. I mean, the matches they produced WrestleMania and SummerSlam, um, you had mentioned before that, you know, that you guys weren't really drawing big house and obviously you were wrestling in the high school back then. What was the overall general sentiment in the locker room at that time about the house? And did they have like faith that eventually it would kick back up or like, um, yeah, I think, I think everybody was, uh, always in belief. I think it was definitely a transitional thing where, um, they were trying to put the belt on the right guy. I know that they had the belt, uh, that, you know, they had it on Brett. And then Brett and in, in a feud lost it to Bob Backlund. And I remember Brett doing a, a pretty decent job with the belt. I think uh, it was like the Lex Luger debacle happened like with Yoko when he slammed him and Yoko had it and Lex had him at SummerSlam, but couldn't beat Yoko. Um, so the, the position of the top guy contending for the title was really low at the time. So um, they were trying to, to throw the belt around. So at this time, Bob Backlund had it, and uh, which he got from Brett. So this was really bringing the houses down. And um, so they and Kevin and uh, Sean uh, Diesel and Sean Michaels had a run with the tag team titles. And that's when Vince told Kev uh, they're going to split him and Sean up um, and, you know, put the big belt on Kev. Right. And uh, that's kind of what, what things really started to do to, you know, they believed enough in Kevin as the big man to draw. And uh, it started to get better. It's, uh, it started to, uh, to really slowly get better. A lot of people say Kevin didn't draw. 
Um, you know, I was there. I think his his uh, his title run was better than people give it credit for as, as far as growing it. Um, and when it even though Sean then eventually got the belt back from Brett at that classic WrestleMania 12, um, where he came down, uh, you know, from the arena with mm-hmm. the thing. I mean, yeah, the rafters yeah I was, you know, yeah. when he did that uh, and got the belt, it was like the attitude era was starting to happen. Right. You know what I, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, um, and then what really helped them when people don't understand and people thought it was a death sentence when Kevin left and uh, Scott left for WCW, that's when things started to change a bit because Vince knew uh, he was going to have to, to come at them with a lot more because they were being so much more outside of the box and where WWF was still putting out gimmicks like Aldo, right. Mantar, Duke the Dumpster. <laughs> the Goon, you know, you know, stuff like that, yeah. Yeah. So, so. I mean, yeah, I mean, I that's that I I get what you're saying in that regard. I mean, um I so as far as like Brett and Sean goes, I mean, did you did you kind of see like the seeds being planted for their heat like or was <laughs> there heat? I mean, what what, oh, yeah. what was it like with them? Oh yeah. Yeah, right? Um it was just very competitive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because I don't know if a lot of people know this, but you get paid um per the house. That's why the house mattered so much is none of us back then um, you know, um, we're under guaranteed money. So you got paid upon where you are on the card. So if you're main event, you're getting paid the most and it trickles down. Right. So let's say, uh, you're at the garden and the garden does $150,000 in ticket sales. Uh, the main event of the garden, which could be, let's say Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart, Mm -hmm. Um, they draw 150 grand. They get the big cut. They probably get 10 grand, 20 grand for a piece for that house, which is a huge chunk, right? right? Of that 150. So then it trickles down to the rest of the boys. Then the semi main event might get five or six grand a piece. I mean, I've been there. I mean, I semi main evented with the Hardys uh, with at the Garden in 2001. I think I made 700 or 7,500 a piece, me and Pac. Wow. You know? So, the you know, and then opening match would get maybe a grand. So that's how they trickle that down. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then, of course, Vince takes his cut and expenses come out of that. But every that's why it, it's so it meant so much. Like if we're drawing, we're winning uh, in the pocketbook, yeah. you know, so the boys could tell who's if somebody's over, mm-hmm. you know, and the guy who was making the most money uh, at the time was Taker. Because even even the early years of Taker, uh, 96, 97, when he was doing coffin matches with Yoko and stuff, he was still probably the best paid guy wow. uh, at the time. You know what I mean? But only Taker, Taker only then was probably making close to 700000 Wow. You know, which is a lot of money, yeah. but it wasn't making the big bucks. And then when Kevin and Scott left for all that guaranteed money, you know, then guys wanted to all jump because guaranteed money was never a thing in the WWE. So that's when it started to have, you know, Brett jumping over. It, it just started a whole bunch of like, yeah. so, you know, I can go over there and make a million a year guaranteed, no matter what, if I'm injured or not. You're not making money if you're injured in the WWE. You get your royalties, but you're not getting that every night headlining a show or, or whatever, you know? Right, right. Absolutely. Uh, so, Taker, I mean, like, he must have commanded, like, that respect. Did he did he always have that aura to him back then in the locker room, like, as a locker room leader? 
Oh, big time. Yeah. I mean, Mark was, uh, Mark was super cool. Uh, he wasn't a dick at any, at all. I mean, everybody loved Mark, mm-hmm. um, you know, re- regardless of, uh, what faction or clique of guys, um, everybody had respect for him. Everybody, you know, um, I don't think there's a lot of people that have a bad thing to say about Mark that I would know, right. you know, everybody was always respectful because Mark was a respectful dude. Uh, he treated everybody with, he treated everybody like he wanted to be treated. Um, Mark was very genuine. Uh, you know, he, he was an honorable dude. If he said he was going to do something, um, as far as be there for you, uh, very safe to do shit in the ring with, he was always, you know, take care of you, never stiff you at all, you know? So he was, uh, he was a man's man, an honorable guy, you know, but he expected the same back and he got it, you know, for, for the most part, that's how we became such a leader is because everybody just, uh, respected him respected his his hustle too because he was the hardest working guy in the company you know never taking a day off uh the gimmick got over to the point where you know they needed him on every show even when he broke his nose or eye socket with mabel and had to wear that mask Mm -hmm. uh for a little while that protective mask if you guys remember you know his whole eye socket was crushed and he was still going out there not even not shouldn't be wrestling but uh, going against doctor's orders so Vince doesn't uh, lose out on having Taker and one of the main, uh, you know, draws, you know, and Mark, Mark's mind, and he said this too, he goes, if I'm out, not only do I lose the money, he goes, but the houses are going to go down where I'm letting the company down. Wow. You know, because if he goes out, you know, let's say they lose 1,000 to 2,000 people that weekend uh, because he's not there. Well, guess what? The boys lose that money too. Because the ba- the major draws there or isn't there, you know right, what I'm saying? Right, right. So oh, he always felt very responsible and very, uh, very honorable to the brand and to to the boy to everybody. He was just a class act. Yeah. Why nobody talks shit about him? Because there's nothing bad to talk about. Oh, absolutely. You know? I mean, he's he seems like one of those guys that's uh, respected in and out of the ring by fans and and the boys alike. Um, and yep. there's only one Undertaker, oh, yeah. and there only will be one Undertaker. Um, but before we move on, I, I, I know you had mentioned it before, and obviously in your time with the Hart family, do you have any Owen Hart rib stories? Because, I mean, Owen was known as quite the prankster. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I just had, I mean, I had a lot of them, but uh, one that he would always do to me and to uh, many others, uh, and it was harmless, but, like, you know, you'd be on the road, and, uh, you know, you'd be flying to uh, some town, you know, uh, after an all-night flight, six hours, seven hours, you'd fly into London. And uh, all you want to do is get to your room and then crash, you know. So, like, Owen would constantly do this all the time, whether it was Germany or London or whatever. He would, uh, uh, right at the airport or whoever had it, um, the agents usually had it, they'd have a sheet of everyone's hotel rooms. And um, with their shoot names, their real names, and Owen would somehow have, have one of the agents give him the sheet, and Owen would go to his room like a little kid, and he didn't party either. He would just rib himself, stay up till three or four in the morning while everybody's dying exhausted. Owen would go up that list and down that list of guys that just flew in with them. And, uh, you know, hello, uh, uh, Mr. Scott Hall, would you would you like uh, some breakfast? We can make you up a nice order of eggs and bacon and, but you know, do this whole thing. Would you like coffee or tea? No, no, I'm not hungry. I'm not hungry. And he'd keep going. Would you like some fruit with that? He'd just keep not taking no for an answer to where finally everybody would be like, no, stop fucking with us. You know, I don't want anything. 
five minutes would go by. He'd call again. Uh, you know, <laughs> would you like to add it to your bill? Just shut the fuck up and leave me alone. I don't want, you know. <laughs> so he just kept going on and on and on. He'd call everybody and drive everybody's just completely insane. Wow. Good, good. And keep himself up all night. But in order to rib everybody, he would uh, he would do it. Yeah. Funny. No, nah, man. I mean, definitely. What a talent. I mean, uh, I always, you know, remember watching like the hearts and especially like their stampede stuff. You could really see like the dynamite kid influence on a lot of their work. You know? Yeah, you really could, especially like, Benoit. Oof, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know Benoit's a, a bad word, but uh, you still cannot deny, um, you know, the his influence. I should yeah, say, you know, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yep. So, what led to you uh, leaving WWF at that time, and and what led you transitioning into ECW? Uh man, it was just time for me. Um, I had made decent money as Aldo in the six figures, you know, which is not bad at the time for a mid card guy, you know, and uh, mid to lower card. Mm -hmm. Um, and at the time, Scott and Kevin just got their deal to go to WCW. And, you know, I talked to Scott, uh, you know, on, on the times we weren't on the road and he's like, man, you got to come down here. You got to come down here, man. We're getting paid. You know, they're getting paid, I think like 900, no, 700 and something. They were getting 750 guaranteed um, with a bunch of other perks. I think one of the perks were if we bring in another name and uh, sign to them, sign higher, then, uh, you know, Bischoff has to match it. So they had to be like on par with the highest paid. Wow. So like, yeah, I remember when Bret Hart came in, Bret got more money than them. Uh, so right away, it's like, oh, so does uh, Hall and Nash, you know? So they, they got that uh, put up there. But anyways, they'd always say to me, man, you know, come in. We'll, we'll, we're will we cool with Bischoff. We'll, we'll find a way. We'll get you, you know, we'll build another character because I couldn't bring Aldo, nor would I want to. Mm -hmm. So I went to Vince. I asked him for my release. Uh, very nice, very humble. Uh, because I said, look, I would like to, to, to do something else. I said, you know, I feel like I'm getting better. I'm getting damn good, as a matter of fact. And he knew it because the, the reports from the agents were all real positive. I know he liked my work. Yeah. And uh, I was like, Vince, I just feel like it's time for me. And it was. I've been on the road as a jobber, in essence, even though Aldo got some TV wins and, you know, had the pyro and stuff. In essence, though, I was still an underneath guy. So I wanted to do more. I felt it was time to maybe do something different. If the character wasn't going to take me there, change the character or, or a different name completely. Uh, Vince was like, well, you know, when I asked him and he wasn't budging with change, um, you know, he's like, okay. I said, okay, then can I have my release? He goes, oh, we can't do that. I said, why? He goes, man, he goes, PJ, I've had Scott and Kevin leave and now some other people are leaving to go to WCW. If, an, if the perception continues to grow that my guys are just leaving and all coming or going to WCW, it's bad for, for the look. Of how it, you know what I mean? Because I, after they left, a couple other people left. It was just a bad look. Right. So he goes, I can't do that, but I will. I will help turn you heel. I'll send you to uh, Memphis, because that was like uh, the NXT at the time. Mm -hmm. I'll send you to Memphis uh, to learn how to work as a heel. Then we'll bring you up with that character and get you a run as the heel. So I go down to Memphis. I work for six weeks. Uh, the Rock was down there, getting his start. Um, with the company um, and some other people were down there, you know, working Memphis, but Memphis had uh, as essentially not really done anything for me and uh, they weren't paying me half of what I needed. So um, long story short, the last day I'm supposed to be there, 
um, ECW goes down there with Paul Heyman, Chris Candido, Dreamer, Van Damme, and Sabu. And they're doing a, that big angle that they did with, right, uh, with, Jerry with Jerry Lawler. Yeah. Right. And I saw it. I was like, holy shit. You know, wow. I'd heard ECW. I heard they were rumbling. And Paul was in direct cahoots with Vince. Well, they also saw my work down there. And I was working, like I said, and trying out this new character. I was doing the just incredible character in a way. But I was still messing around with it. You know, I was nowhere. I, I wore the shorts and the flannel and the t-shirt, but I still didn't have the whole character, but, uh, Heyman loved it. Heyman loved it. And he wanted to bring me in. So he told me that and he went to Vince and, uh, you know, sooner than later, I was, uh, I never worked for the WWE again, never worked in Memphis again after that night, I'd say two to three weeks after that, uh, I started to work in uh, ECW, my contract, the first year of it, uh, signed over to Paul. Wow. Yep, it was great. So that really was, great. That was kind of happening a lot back then, right? Like a lot of guys, it was, like, yeah. You know, yeah. doing enhancement work for ECW, vice versa, and maybe some guys getting in and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. yep, so it was happening a lot. So I got lucky. I know he's a man that's very vilified on the internet, you know, and people. Who's like that, to, Heyman? No, no, uh, Vince. I know a lot of people like to criticize Vince uh, McMahon, you know, and and make sure. him out to be far worse than what he is, even though they still tune in his watch his product. But that's a whole other conversation <laughs> for a whole other day. But what were your dealings like with Vince McMahon personally? I uh, I personally I always liked Vince. Mm -hmm. I uh, I'm, now mind you, I'm coming from a different era. I met Vince in 1993. Um, I met Vince uh, at TVs. Uh, and at TVs, uh, what I hear today is a complete bizarro world. Like, literally, Vince was, was is there, from what I understand to this day, uh, by the monitor. You know, the whole show. He watches everything. Um, but, you know, for some reason then, it was so much smaller as far as you know, we had a big production crew and everything else, but it was so much smaller. The from what I hear, the people around Vince then, uh, as opposed to now, I hear that Vince um, has really himself by choosing has distanced himself from the talent and from, you know, like there's such a separation now from what I hear where back then you literally could go to Vince at TV you know, and talk to him. I remember, uh, you know, wanting to go to Vince's office uh, to talk and he would let me go in. You know, mm -hmm. I'd wait a long time, you know, but I would be granted uh, an audience with him, you know. Um, so that's just the way he was. I don't know if guys and gals are a bit intimidated to talk to Vince. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I remember when I got hired and Vince pitched me, um, he literally grabbed me. Uh, I was somewhere in catering and goes, PJ, let me talk to you. And he take, took me for a walk outside the balcony of uh, like a, an armory where we were at. And he's like, you know, he pitched me my job offer, which was, you see this flag? I said, yes, Vince. He goes, this is, this is, you know, it's the land, it's the, um, it's the American flag, land of opportunity. Sort of like the World Wrestling Federation. We're the land of opportunity. PJ, right now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to offer you an opportunity. Would you like to work for the World Wrestling Federation? That's how Vince was. You could do business with him, right? You know, and you know, pull people. You now you couldn't pull him aside. Mm -hmm. You know that that's how it went down. That's how I got my first job. Is he offered it to me, and we shook hands. Then of course you get the paperwork, and you have to sign it and go to JJ Dylan. He was in you know talent relations. Right. Then now 
you have such a degree of separation. Like if you want to talk to Vince, you got to go through the, the head of talent relations or go see Johnny Ace. And then Johnny Ace will talk to Bruce Pritchard and then Bruce Pritchard will try to get you in with Vince. But by the time Johnny Ace goes to Bruce Pritchard, Bruce Pritchard's going to be like, nah, Vince is too busy right now. Right. You see what I'm saying? Right, right. It, it's bad enough to get Johnny Ace in the structure of how it is because Johnny Ace is, he's the guy that fires you. So he's pretty high up. Right. You make it to Bruce Pritchard, that's a pretty big deal. And then Bruce will let you know if you could talk to Vince or not. So to me, that's very hard uh, to gain any kind of relationship. But I think Vince has also done that by design, obviously by design, because it makes it easier for him. You know, makes right. it easier for him, especially to say, I never said that or, you know, whatever. Right, right, <laughs> so. right, 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 right. Yeah. <clears throat> do you think a lot of that has to do with like the scale of the company now? Like how, how it's just much, much bigger than it was back perhaps, then? Perhaps, perhaps, yeah. Yeah. Perhaps, okay. but I don't know, man. I mean, by this time, they already had Titan Towers. I mean, they had yeah. everything they have now. You know, the WWE already had WrestleManias at, you know, in front of 90,000 people. So I don't know. I just think it was a way of Vince. Um, just really kind of i don't know making himself bigger than i don't know he is because right. that's that's half the aura now is getting into talk to vince where if you listen to the kevin nash story you know if kevin if vince was bringing you in in those days he would have you come into his house he'd fly you into stanford and have you sit down at his house like i remember vince's um vince's limo driver and vince's secretary beth you know uh, there was like a thing where I think that little family uh, feeling that he had uh, in the mid to late 90s, I think after the Attitude Era and once he had Air McMahon. I remember I wrote on Air McMahon once mm -hmm. when I went back as X with X-Pac as X-Factor um, because uh, because of, of, you know, the click link, mm -hmm. you know, and the only other person that was on the plane was like Taker and Stone Cold. Right. So, you know, but then it's like, I think through that design, people then started to push away and, and hide himself a lot more. Right. Okay. Interesting. Um, so at this point uh, where we left off, you were in ECW already. Um, so I, from what I recall, at least off the top of my head, I know you had uh, started a feud with Mikey Whipwreck, right? Initially. Mm -hmm. And great Sasuke, I think you had a feud with, I, which by the way, I loved when you were wrestling in the mask. That was some great great stuff um oh, thank you thank you <laughs> you know um how, now how did how did everything kind of progress in ecw to get you to the point where you were you know a guy who was at the top of the card and you know who also you know kind of led up to your work with the impact players um i don't know man that's a good question i just remember um starting to break away as far as uh putting on the best matches i could every night um, you know, and that's really what it, what it was at first. And it really mattered to go out there and put on the best matches and just slowly by seeing the response I was getting, um, it started to snowball really after the Mikey feud, you know, started to get more and more, you know, high profile stuff, you know? Right. Right. Um, what was the locker room like? I mean, and what were the differences between the ECW locker room and let's say the WWF locker room at the time? Um, like night and day, I mean, very much, um, very much, um, everybody was so friendly and the, the competition really didn't exist. And what I mean by that is, uh, in WWE competition is real as far as men and women working hard to, uh, 
to really get the to get that spot where here in ECW or there in ECW people were more apt to helping you and helping it was more about us than about me whereas WWE was all about me and less about us right because Paul really uh, grasped that and it's like you know we we all need to be in this together for it to work um, the individualistic goals aren't 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 how we're gonna win the product he basically made the product is what's going to get over instead of the individual of course the individual helps like taz is an individual van dam is an individual sabu sandman etc but it was really the product of ec dub ec dub like got over you could interchange top guys right mm-hmm. sandman van dam whatever you know taz but it was ECW as a whole. So that's how Paul ran it, really. You know, not one guy got too, too big when it's always just about ECW. Right, right. What were the fans like? I mean, that, that must have been, like, such a change for you to, to, to go from, like, WWF fans. And granted, there's some places where WWF would work, let's say, like, New York, Chicago, Philly, where it's, like, you kind of get a little bit of that. But, I mean... Um, what was it like, you know, in like the ECW arena and a lot of those places and how was it, how was it different? Oh man, it was just, um, it was, it was just amazing. They were part of the show, you know, they were so loud and so, um, into everything. I mean, they really were like the, the last, you know, the next piece of the puzzle, we made them a part of the show and they just made themselves so, uh, important to our thing, you know? Then it became, you know, just like everything else became part of us, like with Al Snow in the heads and they were just and then they they figured out that this is what ECW does when they tour. So to every town we would go to, they would want to do the same as they saw on TV and 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 when we did it in Philly. So, you know what I mean? It would catch on. And then all the other fans from around the, the, the country would do that, too. Yeah. So it was pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I I remember going to some of the old ECW shows and uh, just the atmosphere was incredible. And it was. Yeah, and, really and was. You guys as performers seem to like feed off of it and really seem of to like, work into it and just lean into it. And like, you know, the fans just ate it up. So it was it was definitely uh, something really special. Wh- where did you come up with the name Just Incredible? Because I got to say, it's one of the coolest fucking names ever. Like <laughs> as far as it goes as, as a wrestling I actually. Name. I, I actually didn't come up with the name. Really? Um, one of the wrestlers um, came up with the name. Uh, his name, he wrestled under the name Wild Bill Wiles. Yes, yes. Um, okay. okay, Wild Bill saw that name, um, you know, like that, Justin, for, first name Justin, last name Credible, on a bumper sticker. And uh, he, pit, he, he, made, he got the name and the gimmick, and he pitched it to Paul that way. Mm-hmm. And Paul was like, huh. He goes, I absolutely love the name. He goes, but that's not what I envisioned for you. He goes, I got something for you. And he did. He goes, but that name and that character, I want it to, not necessarily the name and a character, but the name and a a cocky heel. Mm -hmm. So he saw me as the cocky heel, give him that name that could really make a cocky heel. Right. You know, calling myself Justin, last name Credible. So, uh, you know, he paid Wild Bill like 500 bucks or something at that time. To, to take the gimmick and to put it on me. So, uh, yes, I, I wish I could take credit. I probably could now all these years, <laughs> but I'd be lying. 
uh, Paul Heyman uh, got it from Wild Bill. Wow, that's awesome. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I remember you had uh, the Singapore cane, too. That was a big part of your gimmick. And obviously, yep. had, um, yeah. now, was that kind of more like uh, heat towards Sandman, or did you kind of like capitalize on the Michael Fay thing and all that stuff that was going on in the, uh, in the news? Um, the, that Michael, whatever his name, that thing yeah. was given, Sandman was given the stick because of that. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, I was. I took the stick from Sandman uh, in an angle. He was leaving for WCW, and uh, so in essence, I put out Sandman by caning him like a million times. So kind of like what Sandman did to uh, to first get the stick, mm-hmm. I did it as his death. Like you know, I kind of buried him uh, or the gimmick um, when he left. So then I became even my name and everything. That's when I took up the moniker hardcore icon yeah and kind of ripped off not ripped off but became the new sandman in a way mm-hmm. so you, yeah that's how that happened did you ever think about uh going to wcw at any point in time during that time like when all those guys were kind of exiting or did i mean did you have um, an offer was was there anything concrete or anything? yeah i mean i yeah I, I definitely thought about it um but not not very seriously you know to be honest um I, I thought about it, but Paul really, he matched pay, you know, um, towards the end, especially my last year, I was making, you know, $300,000, not $300,000, $3,000 a week, which is 150,000. Um, and I was wrestling, you know, twice a week. So, you know, wrestling eight times a month, that's not that much. And getting to be a top guy, you know, right there in the the last couple of years, I had action figures. Um, I was on a video game, two video games, as a matter of fact, came out. Yeah. Um, all kinds of cool stuff. We were on national TV for a while. So things were happening. Um, so to me, I'd rather bet on the company that bet on me. So, you know, I knew that I was going to be world champion. Right. And I thought that, you know, because WCW had always also had a bad reputation. Shane Douglas was there. Um, and he kind of, I think, regretted leaving. Sandman went there for, for a heartbeat. Like I said, when I lo- left, when I beat him and he left, I beat him for his gimmick. He then came back. Um, you know, lights went on and off during a me Huge match pop. or a me promo. <laughs> and he made his, his debut, his re-debut yeah. from uh, WCW. So I'd heard a lot of horror stories as far as, look, the money's great, but the storylines are, are the shits. You're, you know, it's almost better that if you go there for a year, take their money and come back, mm-hmm. <laughs> which yeah. a lot of guys did, you know, but I never took it. I always thought being faithful to Paul was important, you know, and as I knew as long as I was going to be there and as long as there was an ECW, I would be the top or a top guy. And uh, nobody could have seen what was about to happen. Right. But, uh, you know, ECW went out of business because of all the bad business deals uh, that kind of accumulated because um, I remember the last ever uh shows we did uh there were the two pay-per-views in new york both of them sold out standing room only yeah. of over uh 3500 fans at the hammerstein ballroom both were huge successes you know um it wasn't that that the fans were still wanting to come it was the fact that through the years paul was always you know he was making all the money to pay off bad interest debts that happened in the beginning of the promotion right you know when they weren't making that kind of money and i think paul too went out of business because he was paying so much money in such a big roster, you know, because he had to use that money and to prevent guys from leaving, you know, he didn't want to lose Van Dam 
to WCW. So we overpaid on all of those guys. You know, I know Rob was making close to four four grand a month or a, a month. I always say that a, a week, which is close to two hundred thousand. It is two hundred thousand dollars a year. But he's not going to stay. Yeah, or unless he gets something like that, you know what I mean, Russ? Fuck right. it, I'm going to go to WCW and get that. Right, right. You know, so that's what kind of made him have to pay these these prices to compete. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I I could certainly understand that. Um, it, it, looking back on your time in ECW, um, between being world champion, teaming with Lance Storm, um, you know, obviously you had the Impact Players faction, you know, with Jason, with Don Marie, uh, which Jason was just hilarious i mean i, I love that the dude said he was from europe the whole continent yeah. you know like that was just like yeah great little stuff like that um what's your fondest memory of ecw um you know in terms of everything that you've accomplished there looking back um i loved my uh i really loved my uh world title ring mm -hmm. um it was a it was a very very uh how should i say it um just a great, uh, I think I had the belt for four or five months, five months, complete five months. And I know it's a work and I tell everybody this all the time, but my biggest dream was to be on top. And I got to be on top, even though the ECW was like the third major promotion. You know, there was the WWF, there was WCW. And at times towards the end, when I was champion, we were outdrawing them. Uh, you know, cause Nitro was drawing a couple thousand people paid at least, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know how many free tickets they gave out, but <laughs> we were, we were like, you know, remember AEWA? Yeah. Yeah. We were the, a we were the AWA, right? Mm -hmm. We were the third promotion. Right. And I was the third, you know, third in line. I was the third world champion in North America. You know, mm -hmm. there was always like, you know, in the old days there was Hulk Hogan, uh, Ric Flair and like Nick Bockwinkle, <laughs> That was the AWA champion. So I got to be on top for the third biggest promotion in the world. Um, got to be champion and and really understood and had fun with drawing money, right. drawing paper, you know, main eventing how many pay-per-views. Yeah. Um, really getting to understand what it takes to be a main event guy uh, and then to be in that position to where you just get a huge understanding for the business and a respect. Right. Uh, and I, I, night after night I went out there with the thing like I always wanted to be flair and if I'm main eventing I'm going to have the best match of the night and I remember Gabe Sapolsky who ended up uh he writes for he's works in creative in the WWE yeah. or did he he was uh, um had evolved for a while and then he ended up yeah going okay. with WWE <laughs> yeah and I remember he was the first uh he was the first booker for Ring of Honor I remember him saying uh in a publication that because uh, he was on the road with RF video at the time Mm -hmm. um it was at every single house show and he said just incredible has uh, probably had the best title run out of anybody as far as every night and every town wrestling the best match of uh, on the house shows you know as far as string of of great matches you know and i took it like that i'm like no matter how many people if we're in virginia with 500 people or if we're in new york city with 5,000 people i went out there and i had that five-star match or whatever the best match I, uh, of the card or that i could you know and uh i took a lot of pleasure in that it's like you know what might not have been the wwf but i was i was up there doing the best i could at this time very proud of it to this day no absolutely and, and you should be i mean it was a great title run and you know very few people get to have one if you think about it how yeah. many world champions uh not a lot no i mean you know i'm sure we're in the hundreds but still 
uh, if you really look, and I'd like to get that number, how many real world champions they've been as far as the WWWF, the NWA slash when it came to WCW. And to this day, like how many world champions have there been? I guarantee you it's probably under 100. Yeah, it's, it's definitely you, not that many. I'm curious. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check that out now. <laughs> it's definitely not that many. I mean, um, I, I got to say, you know, like being in the crowd and, and seeing you work back then, you know, uh, we talked about it before, but like one of the biggest things was like everything you did, you made it feel important. You know what I mean? Right. Even yeah. the little things, even even when, you know, you, you'd bump some dude and then, you know, you'd go, you'd set up a chair in the corner and then, you know, like dude would start beating you up and you guys would work. That chair would come back into play later on in the match and the chair felt important, and all that stuff felt yeah. important. So like all those little things I felt um, really, really added to like to like you know your work and everything you did in ecw um i used to mm. I, I mean dude you used to get so much heat you used to get so yes. much heat. It was fucking great i mean i remember the justin asshole chance like all yeah. that's, oh yeah. great great stuff so um yeah it was a lot of fun and you learned that's that's what i loved about it i was really getting to uh, perfect the craft and i never got an opportunity uh before ecw or since because when i went back to the wwf I had some good matches. Like I said, the, the you know, I got to main or semi-main event the Hardy with the Hardys at the Garden, mm-hmm. you know, and I had some little moments here or there, but nothing along the lines of that. So I just really, uh, you know, appreciated that fun and you know having to to work with those guys. It was it was so effortless, you know. Yeah. It was so much fun. Speaking of WWF, so how did how did that um, how did ECW folding and you know them going out of business? How did that kind of lead into you going? into back to wwf um but also were you a part of the invasion angle i mean how how did how did the idea kind of come about well i uh i knew wwe or ecw was was done um although paul had not uh let us know you know i was on i was paul's right hand man so uh i thought he would tell me everything he didn't or dreamer um or any of the top guys that should have known so i once paul hadn't paid me in a couple of months I said, screw this, you know, uh, contract null and void, dude. I'm not a rocket scientist to know you haven't paid me in a while. Um, that means breach. And um, so I called Jim Ross. Uh, Jim Ross and I come up with a three-year contract, and it's to be kept hush-hush until I debut at the Meadowlands, um, like a, maybe a, a couple of weeks before the uh, – the whatchamacallit, the invasion before WCW officially went under. Um, so anyways, I, I'm about, it's like three o'clock. I'm supposed to be at the building uh, for one o'clock. I got stuck in traffic. My cell phone rings um, and I pick it up and Heyman's like, huh, first day, your first day back, you're already late. And I haven't talked to Paul, right, about going there. I just did it. So I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, huh, I'm at the building. I'm debuting tonight. Uh, you're not here. And I'm like, motherfucker. Like, here I felt bad for a while, for a couple of weeks, thinking, man, I, I fucked Paul. I fucked ECW. And he was debuting before me. Wow. Because I didn't, because think about it, if, 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 if uh, Vince knew or if whatever people knew that Paul was going to debut, everybody would have known, hey, ECW is done. And it would have, lo- like we would have lost our bargaining chip, so to speak. You know, you can't wait for the ship to go under because then, you know, like Dreamer, even though he got signed, he didn't get signed until a year later. Jerry Lynn, same thing. A bunch of people didn't get signed for another year. 
So I was like, fuck that. I'm getting signed before ECW is officially, you know. So I barely made the cut. Barely. Wow. And I got lucky. Yeah. Do you have any do you have any like ill will towards Paul or any kind of, you know, hold any uh, feelings towards him yeah, because of how things ended? Yeah. Deep down inside, I think I do. I have a lot of resentments. Um, mm-hmm. but you know, like if I see him or anything, and I've said this publicly, I mean, I really don't have, I mean, I don't have any, I don't sit at home thinking about fucking scumbag, but, uh, deep down inside, I know that I was lied to too many times. Uh, and you know, luckily it worked out for me, but it could have, it could not have, you know, I think, I just think he put me in way too much jeopardy to, you know, what is he going to say? Like, Oh, you're lucky. You got out just fine. I did. But if I'd known I may have taken a different route. I may have see what I regret is the only thing I regret um, is like when Lance left, uh, he left in, I don't know, let's say 2000, like May of 2000. Mm-hmm. Um, because I remember when I got the title, I defended it against him on his farewell match before he went to WCW. Right. Um, I should have left then mm-hmm. because Lance ended up getting a three year contract for I think it was 150, 220, and 275 or something like that. So that's three years. Even though WCW, they worked for a whole nother year after that. So he worked like a year out of that deal and then got paid in full for the remaining three years wow. of his contract. So he got the, all that money. He got about 700 grand out of that. So to this, to this day, Lance got all that WCW money for him not being a mark. And I got, I didn't get that money and at least I got the title, Mm -hmm. but still I would have rather the 700,000, you know, because, because of that 700,000, he was at home, right? He worked for a year of nitros and shit, but then again, he sat at home, got a couple hundred grand in the mail every year and got to re you know, reset his body, not get injured, um, buy a house and pay for it. Wow, what a concept! Yeah. You know, oh, I got I got three hundred grand in the bank. Let's buy a house and own it outright, so we don't have to worry about mortgage. Yeah. You know, I never got that chance, which I resent. You know, yeah. because Lance lives a, a a life where he doesn't have to work. Right. You know, because of of small time investing and being able to have three good years. I mean, it might not seem like a lot of money to people, no, no, but it adds still up. seven seven hundred grand to sit at home. Yeah. You could do a lot with that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, Especially if you live in Calgary, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, so t- towards the end of of your time in WWE, like, what started to happen basically, where you kind of knew, like, you know, this was this was basically done. Like, I'm about to be out of here soon. Uh, just you could feel it. You know, you could feel it. The uh, things were starting to. I really don't even have like a full thing on it those times i really don't remember as as clearly because they were so uneventful mm-hmm. i could just tell that uh around christmas time of 2003 it was starting to wind down and uh that's when i got the phone call from johnny ace saying that i was being let go um and i got let go uh, december 2003 and um that was it do you do you feel the invasion angle was kind of a failure do you feel like it could have been done oh, yeah. better what would you have done oh, personally yeah. if, if you would have been um it? I would have done the three factions, three opposing factions, because I was in the ring for the beginning of that angle. It was, I'll never forget it. It was in Atlanta um, and it was a sold out hot crowd. And um, I was in the ring with a bunch of ECW guys. I think it was me 
some some other people and uh the dudleys whatever there was ecw era names in there and um we did some angle where somebody came from the back and um it looked like he was going to be like um you know where where were we going to stand with a lot of what was going on and the ecw crowd formed you know um i forget how the angle went but it looked like some the dudleys i think were going to be saving the day and we didn't save the day we went after the wwf guys and the dudleys who were thought to align with the wwf guys aligned with all the ecw guys it was like me raven storm bubba devon and i think taz we were you know we really kind of formed there at as ecw and i think stephanie mcmahon was the one that brought ecw to the picture then at the end of that two-hour broadcast shane mcmahon came in said he bought wcw therefore you know because i think they were doing the double broadcast so then therefore at the end we became the alliance but let me tell you when they announced ecw as a separate entity in atlanta that whole place buzzed and when they announced the alliance they shit on it because the alliance was already contrived you were not going to get uh, sting you were not getting flair you were going to get like booker t which is nothing wrong with that but scott steiner you weren't going to get you know the young kids that were there getting like sean stasiak and chuck palumbo and those guys you know so that put a real damper on it i would have had ecw be separate WCW be separate, but bring in a flair or a sting as well, and then have the WWE as a separate. So all three companies kind of vine for it. You know, you could have uh, the Intercontinental title be competed against uh, three guys, uh, you know, a three-way match, ECW guy, WWE guy, and a WCW guy, like have a Super Bowl of wrestling, mm -hmm. you know, once a year at WrestleMania, and then maybe give... Uh, you know wcw you know the smackdown thing uh ecw could have the tuesday slot you know as it ended up happening later on and then have raw stay raw but each of them is still maintains their own identity when, when you know that, what i mean and, yeah and, and have a big pay-per-view once a year yeah yeah i i think i think that makes sense to me it kind of seemed like it was really really rushed because i mean as a fan at the time i mean you, you start making up all these dream matches in your head and obviously I think a lot of people at some point expected Sting or Ric Flair to show up, you know, somebody that was really, really symbolic of WCW. But we, right. we kind of never got that. And I, I don't know. It was just it was good. I mean, don't get me wrong. There were some good matches. Right. It was good. Yeah. It was really yeah. good. But it could have been great. Like the right. biggest angle of all time. Yeah. yeah. Right. Think about it. The biggest angle of all time. If you did it right. That's the thing. You didn't need a lot of contrived stories. Mm -hmm. You know, like like Steve Austin didn't need to turn heel like that and to be the man that's behind the alliance really what it was is steve austin and his minions of goons mm -hmm. you know it was horrible like i remember doing all these pre-tapes and all these skits where we're in the ring and steve just kind of cutting us all up and or we're just behind him as he's talking and i remember being on one episode where we were all of us were singing to Austin on his birthday or something like that. Like and <laughs> yeah, Stephanie yeah, yeah. and everybody, you know, she's taking the microphone and passing it along to people. I, we did so many of those stupid skits uh, that it lost it. If people had just, you know, like done it differently. Um, I don't know. I don't know. It could have, it could have worked totally different. We wanted to see 
you know, the stings or flares of the WCW come in against the WWE guys. That's what it would have made sense. You know, if you're going to have it like that night, like, well, ECW's back, baby. Like, hey, hey, Paul Heyman bought his piece, you know, from somewhere. And, you know, from this one or that one. Like, remember how they played how Shane got this company and Stephanie had this. Every every McMahon should have kept their half. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the thing is Shane should have kept WCW. Vince, obviously, the WWE, and Stephanie should have had ECW because that's the way they originally, you know, she bought it right out of, off of Heyman or something, mm-hmm. whatever, however that went. But we should have all stayed separate for a little while at least. Right, right. No, definitely. That's just me. No, definitely. I mean, hey, you know what? This is this is something that a lot of people talk about, honestly, because it was mm-hmm. one of the biggest, could have been the absolute biggest storyline ever. Um, and it's something that a lot of fans really like to look back upon and kind of uh, armchair book. Um, yeah, but how, how did how did the how did the return of ECW come along, and um, when did you get contacted about coming back in regards for that? Sure, um, the original ECW came along because um, Rob Van. Uh, okay, one of the uh, news had come out. I wasn't there at the time. News had come out that one of the ECW DVDs just hit the marketplace. I don't remember which one it was, but. Uh, I think it was, okay, Bloodsport, ECW. Mm-hmm. Though that came out, and then the rise and fall of ECW came out. Those did blockbuster. Like, it beat Vince's all-time sales of DVDs. And uh, they were, you know, putting it over to everybody, and Vince and, or somebody had mentioned it to Van Dam in passing. Um, you know, that ECW is doing great. It sold, you know, the, our best sales for DVDs. And Van Dam had mentioned to Vince, you know, why don't we, we should really do a, an all ECW pay-per-view or or, or no Van Dam didn't mention it. Vince just wanted to do, uh, to do a one-off based on the DVDs. So after the story makes sense. So after mm-hmm. the first one night stand and getting back on top of the DVD sales being so great, the reaction, right. The, to the pay-per-view and the pay-per-view buy rates. I think it was like one of the biggest buy rates period besides WrestleMania. Wow. You know, it was like better than like backlash and all that stuff. It was like right there with like close to SummerSlam, mm-hmm. whatever the number is. I could be wrong, but it was like it was really out there, the buy rate. And that's when Van Dam said, you should just bring it back. He said it kind of to him as a joke and but not. And he brought it back for a second night. And then uh, from the second one night stand is when I knew I was getting a job. Other than that, I was just getting called up to do uh, to do work. And in 2006, because um, I was at the 2005 one, at the 2006 one, I'd already been contracted, you know, because they already knew of the of you know splitting and going on the road and all that stuff. So that's how that happened. Right, right. So yeah, I mean, um, I remember being at Hammerstein Ballroom for you uh, taking on CM Punk on CM Punk's debut. Um, did you know then that, that he had the ability to kind of become something big in the future? Did you see it in him or was there still some work to be done there? Oh, there was, uh, I saw the uh, physical ability as far as uh, his work in the ring, really good, really crisp. Mm-hmm. Um, knew he could work very kind guy. I, 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 I saw it. Yeah, I, I saw it. Not too. I, I, not, I've never thought he would become as big as he was, um, 2011 when he came back and and so forth i mean he really promo wise and and everything else he was just like you know but uh i i mean i could see it but i never would have imagined to to go as far as he went you know 
So shortly after that, um, ECW ended up folding again for the for the second time. Um, did they just kind of release you outright, or what? What did they do? No, I actually uh, I, I stopped showing up. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, I remember it being so bad because pay was so bad. We were on a fifty thousand dollar a year downside. And, uh, you know, I, I had worked with Punk twice. They liked the first one so much, they booked the second one, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but either way, um, after that, it was just all, I just kept losing, losing, losing. And, which I never really minded, but this was ECW. And it felt like I shouldn't be losing this much. It's going to really kill Just Incredible for the foreseeable future. Um, but I never said anything. So uh, one day I go to uh with my wife to the bank and i go to uh, take money out and i have no money in my account for gas to go to the airport now that's a problem when i have the you know and i wasn't like spending it every you know fifty thousand dollars is not a lot of money um so you know if you don't have but what i the, the part about that is it's not that much money but when you're on the road i should say paying your own air uh you know rental cars, hotel rooms, you know, think about that. If I'm spending $500 uh, in hotel rooms and rental cars and food, you know, $1,000 a week for 52, you're spending 500 in expenses. So $500 a week is what that really goes down to. And you have to pay taxes on that. So take that money, but pay taxes. You're making what? Three, 350, 350 to do that. You know, and be a star on TV. You're making that. It wasn't just me. It was many of the other guys too. Mm-hmm. You know, all of the guys really were all making the same bread. That's when I just uh, I stopped showing up. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, they they finally got a hold of me. They sent me another ticket. Say, oh, we understand. Shit happens. Come to the next show. I waited all week. Never got on the plane again. Yeah. So uh, a week later, um, no phone calls. I got my letter, and that's it. I hadn't heard from him uh, since. So from there on, you, you know, kind of just uh, started doing the indie stuff, Ring of Honor, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Or did you do that yeah. before? Okay. Um, yeah. So looking back, like, you know, on, on your time in wrestling, I mean, how do you, what do you really, you know, what's the one thing that like really sticks out with you overall in your wrestling career, you know, and, you know, what's one thing maybe you feel like you could have done differently? Um, I wish my, uh, my X factor years would have been better. Um, I feel like that's when I uh, would have really, it would have meant the most. Um, I was still very intimidated being there um, because when I went back, you know, the same guys that were still the kind of not bullies, but still, they, they still saw me as Aldo. Right. Although, you know, I ran with the click and whatever I was friends with everybody. I still felt like Aldo. In ECW, I felt like I, I was, and I was the man, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was walking around like my shit didn't stink. I was the main event. Right. I was the world champion. When I went back, I think a lot of that swag kind of left, you know, not by, uh, not by, not that anybody really made me feel that way. Maybe I did, you know, I didn't mature as much as I needed to. Um, so I didn't assert myself either, um, maybe out of fear. You know, um, I never really questioned, you know, hey, maybe we shouldn't do this or that, which is on me. You know, Um, I just think that that's kind of where it became. I kind of showed that, you know, I I wasn't willing to kind of change 
my character or the whole presentation of it. You know, it's also hard when they're not, uh, I was great as a tag team with X-Pac, but when I went singles, you know, a singles wrestler uh, that can't wear, I mean, they're wearing his jean shorts, but can't do a tombstone because that's somebody's finishing move. And I can't do the super kick because that's somebody's finishing move. And looking like Steve Austin, the other bald guy with the Mm T-shirt and jeans, you know, so it was getting harder and harder. And they wouldn't let me take my stick out, too, because they didn't want me doing that. So what it is, man. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, um, you know, speaking as as somebody who's watched your career, I mean, uh, I always considered you a really good worker. And uh, I really enjoyed a lot of your work, particularly your stuff in ECW. It definitely would have been cool to to see you get a bit more of a run with X Factor for sure. Because, um, you know, I think that group had a lot of potential, you know, with uh, Albert and, you know, obviously you and X-Pac, you know, both being really, really solid workers. It would have been really cool to see. Um, before we end, I definitely would like to chat with you about this past weekend. Obviously, we know big, big weekend in pro wrestling. You know, we had AEW bringing back CM Punk, uh, you know, SummerSlam with a bunch of big moments. Becky Lynch coming back, Brock Lesnar coming back, uh, and also NXT. Um who I steadily feel deliver fantastic shows. I mean, like every takeover, find me, find me a bad takeover. I don't think you can. Um, right. right. But uh, what, what are some of your thoughts from the weekend, uh, the weekend that was in the world of professional wrestling? Man, uh, I'll tell you what, I cannot, I cannot believe, I can believe, but I cannot at the same extent believe the, the type of reaction that that got. I knew it was going to be big. Um, I, 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 as Friday started to come about just from, uh, the wrestler wrestling Twitter and everything else. And what the talk, I mean, it was like, man, they got everybody, you know, just ready for it. I'll tell you, if he didn't show up, it was going to be a problem. <laughs> um, they might've lost that company might've been over, but everybody, it was one of those perfect storms where we haven't seen this in very many years. and to CM Punk as well nobody else could have done this because he's kind of been that guy that everybody's wanted to see back right and there have been so many reports of he'll never come back to well I heard he might do you know but he, he said no to everybody and how many more times is he going to say no he's on record of even saying that he goes I'll never come back he goes how many more times do I got to say it so not only did the company play this right his reputation also played it right and this is not only his, his hometown, this is the hometown of pro wrestling tees and kind of the, the hometown that really birthed the movement of the Young Bucks, the Elite, the Bullet Club, and pro wrestling tees. That was the genesis of this whole thing, right? If you remember, All In was in these All Out, then All In and then All Outs have all been from Chicago. You know, wrestling in Chicago. Chicago is probably the biggest wrestling market in the world. Um, And with pro wrestling tees there and everything else and hometown, if this isn't going to be the night, it would never be. And uh, boy, was was everybody happy to see him. And uh, it's going to be a game changer. This is all going to start to really change the game because a lot of fans that don't watch anymore are going to be brought back. Mm -hmm. And I think he realized that if I don't go now, I'll never go at all. So, yeah. and now with Daniel Bryan signed on as well, this is, the game is going to change very soon. 
Yeah, it's, Very it's certainly an exciting time. I mean, I'll be honest, there's a lot of things about AEW I'm not too fond of, but um, I think overall what they're doing right now is, is really exciting, and it's generating a lot yeah. of excitement and a lot of buzz in the wrestling business. Um, you know, we'll see where they go from here, but I think having a guy like CM Punk, having a guy like uh, Daniel Bryan or Brian Danielson uh, is really going to take them to, to a different level because, you know, these guys, I would say, you know, them specifically with – I mean, in the last decade, those two have been two of the th- three probably biggest things of the last decade. You know, you had the Yes thing, you had CM Punk, and you had the Bullet Club. Yep. You know, that's what exactly. you saw fucking yeah. everywhere. Yep. So, and that's 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 huge. That's yeah. huge. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know? and, yeah. I, I hope they don't fumble it. That's that's my whole thing, you know, and I hope that it works out. Yeah. You know, because... This... Yeah, I mean, listen, I, listen, think about this. All of the, especially with TNT, they have guys... Now, they got to be careful to not have too many WWE guys, but they, they it's almost like WWE dared them to, to <laughs> yeah. come pick these. I mean, think about the quality. Alistair Black, mm-hmm. you know, they got flagship guys like, uh, you know, uh, Paul White, who could still be used as, you know, just corporately as a, as, as a name, you know. Mm-hmm. Mark Henry, uh, Christian, Matt Hardy. I mean, the, na- the names go up and down. Dustin... You know, that goes from young guys to old guys, but recognizably, you know, I hear Nature's coming in now, too. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, just legacy people, pretty soon it's going to feel very much like WCW in its prime. If we're not careful, now AEW, they're going to, you know, you got to be careful on how you use those guys and the young guys. But nonetheless, this is, this could be, I think CM Punk, and I'll, I got to get going, but I think CM Punk. Uh, last week, his debut will be remembered just like when uh, Hulk Hogan, um, you know, dropped the leg and turned um, yeah. on Randy Savage for the NWO. That's going to be what ha- that was the game changer. Just as the NWO was a game changer, that was that moment for AEW, and I think that will be the genesis of the new wrestling not wars i hate to say wars because you could definitely watch and and love both right but the wrestling renaissance yeah i i think so i think this is definitely gonna put wwe in a position where i think they're gonna maybe start to be more creative i mean you know and i that's and i hope they are and i hope that's what comes out of this is more creative from them because you know very well that nobody wants to fuck with vince mcmahon when he gets motivated (laughs) no no, not at all. And that's the thing, too, is uh, Vince is, you know, from what he sees on paper, his company is, 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 is up in stock price. It's up financially because, you know, the companies are paying prime dollar for his live shows, regardless if the ratings are down. I mean, I think the only people that really care about ratings are, the, I think, the marks care more than everybody yeah. else because they're paying premium. I think they're happy with the, the numbers. Well, nobody's really happy with those numbers, but you know what I'm saying. Like yeah. the networks aren't going anywhere, so why should Vince change? They're they're a franchise. <laughs> they're 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 like fucking Kiss. You know what I mean? Like they're right. like everybody right. knows who they are. Um, right. But definitely, they're it's... global. They're a global thing, and uh, Vince isn't going to freak out because the internet, um, you know, is telling them. Yeah. You know, they're still putting yeah. fifty thousand people into SummerSlam. So. Oh yeah. You know, and they're building so. new stars too. I mean, you know, you, you got Riddle, you got Damian Priest, you know, Roman's still doing what he's doing. You know, you got all these guys that are just 
So the machine keeps going no matter what. Um, oh, no, and it always will. Yeah. And it always will. Yeah. Yeah. So before I let you go, I uh, just want to give you a chance. You want to plug anything or anything before we end this this, this um, great interview, man? Yeah, no, thank you. Uh, not really. Just follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at PJ Polacco. And, of course, uh, if you're interested in the T-shirt, please go to uh, ProWrestlingTees.com backslash Just Incredible. I got 20 different T-shirts, Aldo Montoya, ECW era Justin, uh, and uh, some other Just Incredible shirts. Really cool. And uh, that's one way to support wrestlers. Um, is to prowrestlingtees.com. It's uh, it's really cool. To good shirts, and we get a good fair price. They only take a little bit. Um, and like I said, support pro wrestling, support indie wrestling and wrestlers, because the t-shirts are how we really make money. So uh, if you haven't gotten a tee, go up and uh, grab one. They're 19.99 or something like that, and you're really helping out. So that's it. Well, there you go, folks. You heard it there from uh, PJ Polacco, a.k.a. Just Incredible. Um, I'm going to be picking up a shirt myself, too, after this. Nice. Um, nice. Thank you, brother. Yeah, man. And uh, really enjoyed having you on, man. Uh, hopefully we can oh, do this again. Oh, it's a pleasure, man. You've been so kind. Line. Thank you for your kindness. You know what oh, I mean? Man. That really helped. Nah, man. Thank you, man. Thank you. I really, really appreciate this. I look forward to talking to you in the future. And uh, we'll be back with another episode soon of uh, Putting It Over with Pat. Take care, everybody. Have a good one. Bye.